Turn it off. Did it get turned off? <coughs> this one is. This one, that one's not. It won't come on. Okay. You just put them in now? Yeah. The nation still be working. Good evening. Sorry. I am just running behind on all fronts here uh, tonight. I don't know. Can you be behind on fronts? I don't know if that works or not. But nonetheless, now, this, now the phone ain't working. Everything's just bad. All right. Well, first of all, good evening. I, I want to say real quick uh, before we start, if I sound a little different, there's a reason. Um, really, since about Sunday afternoon, I have not felt very good. And I uh, went home Sunday evening after church, and I think I tried to do the math, and I think on Monday I slept for 18 out of 24 hours. Uh, and then yesterday I didn't go to work. Uh, I started feeling better last night about 10 o'clock probably. Uh, I felt exactly like I did when I had COVID back in February, really for the exact same amount of time. Uh, but I tested negative, so I don't know. But I'm, I'm probably not going to hug and, unless, you, unless somebody's looking for an extra day off or two. Then well, we can, all, we can hug all you want if you've got you know, something big at work tomorrow that you need to get out of. Uh, but uh, otherwise, uh, I'm going to try and avoid that. But I feel a lot better. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the uh, found that over the years, 19 years of teaching, the students will be the most honest with you. And I got a little girl in the first class this morning. I, first thing I said was, good morning. She said, your voice sounds bad, Mr. Hawkins. Thanks. Thanks. Good to see you, too. At 8.01, you're already being critical. So Tonight, we're going to talk about generosity. Hey, Daniel, I just love it when you said a student called you Mr. Hawkins. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you should be three. Well, I should be. But then I look around the, I look around the building, and I'm older than everybody there, but about five of them. And I got way too many of them in there that I had as students when I was the, when I was teaching earlier. So there's a there's a there's it's I don't know day to day. I hope we can hope we can make it another one. <laughs> Tonight we're talking about generosity. Uh, it's our second of our Bible virtues, and we're going to be talking about the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter ten. Uh, but I want to go over. We did this the other day. Uh, I got a couple pictures here. Uh, that I liked when it came to uh, generosity. Uh, you can look at both of them. Obviously, the one on the left, you have the really large elephant with, I think that's a cat. Connie, can you confirm if that's a cat or not? There's a reason I picked that one. <clears throat> I, thought that, I thought that would win the back row pretty good. Uh, I actually really like this one. This is like a kid's book or something, but the... The sink is filling, is filling up the, the pitcher, and it's filling over into a little cup. I don't know what you think about when we think about generosity, but we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, here uh, this evening. And so as we've been talking about, as we plan to talk about virtues, that's, uh, that, that's one of it. Uh, one of them. This is not near as big as I hoped it would be. Uh, but the first time we see it in the Bible is in uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter uh, 15 and verse 10. Uh, it says to give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. 
And so that's early on in the Old Testament we see uh, generosity. And the second one there, the last time that we see it, and again, these, you know, these are maybe are debatable as first and last, but in 1 Timothy 6 and 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And I think the word generosity or generous or however you want to use the word, we see it a lot in the scriptures. It, it comes up numerous times. And what Leland read for us there a few moments ago when Isaiah talks about like the opposite of generosity, right? Uh, and, and just it, it, it's, if you're going to go in the opposite direction of generous, then you're going to lose, you're going to fail. But generosity and being generous with others uh, shows up uh, quite different uh, from what we read in Isaiah. Uh, a couple of verses there in the Old Testament, uh, Proverbs 11 and 25, we read, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That picture worked pretty good with the little drink of water. Psalm 37 and 21, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. And we know what it's like to have somebody borrow and not give it back. And that's frustrating. We also know the people that sometimes are giving you something before you even knew you needed to ask about it uh, as well. Uh, Psalms 112 and verse 5, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Down at the bottom, some New Testament scriptures there, Luke 11 and 41, but now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Finally, Romans 12 and verse 8, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so all of these uh, verses, and there's many more that could be included uh, on the Old Testament side and the New Testament side. But tonight we'll talk about generosity. <coughs> Again, the first couple of pages I just take from uh, this thing that I have. Uh, it says there, both testaments encourage generosity and sharing, especially among the brethren. Jesus upped the ante for Christians by declaring it good to give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. So we're talking about generosity this evening. And we are in Luke chapter 10. And our goal here is to think about an example of generosity, but also help us understand that the neighbor, the person that we maybe are called to help, is not always going to be the person that we like. It may not be the person that's easiest to help. I feel like for most of us, we could call each other and we'd be willing to help in almost an instant, right? Whatever it took, uh, there are numerous people in here who help go, be, go above and beyond uh, with their generosity and people don't even know about it uh, in the room here. But tonight we need to think about sometimes it's not necessarily the person that we like, but it's the person who is in need. And so I have a question for us, though, before we get into anything. If you were to meet a famous teacher like Jesus, what kind of question would you ask him? Because that's what we're going to see tonight. So if you could ask one question, what would it be? I'm not going to try and answer it. I'm not saying 
But I don't know. Uh, what kind of question might you ask? You get one question. Put you on the spot almost immediately. Yes, ma'am. How am I doing? How am I doing? All right. So kind of a checkup. Where, where are we staying? What's, what's my report card looking like right here? That's it. I think we would all, it, you know, sometimes it would be nice to get a little, uh, you know, doing good or need to get better on that. Uh, we've talked a little bit about that some on our Wednesday night classes. What else might we ask if we met Jesus? Am I doing the right thing? Okay. We, sh- we struggle with that sometimes. So, and sometimes a little reaffirmation helps, uh, helps with that as well. What else? I think like the guy in the Bible, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's been so many things to have done to his word, twisted this way, interpreted this way and that way. So Absolutely. How do we know, you know? Absolutely. Kelly. Like this, like you don't have to do it. Ask them how to do it. I, I, I agree with that. And there are things, I think that's a really good one as well, because there are things that have to be done, like within the church or as a Christian or whatever, and there are things that we're just not maybe good at. And like, how can, you know, if I, Jesus, how, how can I be better? Because you can ask me that, and I'm probably going to have a hard time telling you. The principal told me one time, he said, go in there and tell a kid, he said, there's another teacher, he said, go in there and tell them how you build relationships with students. How do you tell that? Like, like I've always said, two sentences, I just go in there and do this and you'll be fine. It's really hard to, you know, sometimes we don't know, like we know what needs to be done, but explaining it or answering it can be really difficult. And, you know, it'd be far better to ask that question of Jesus than of me. What else? Any other questions? I think that's an excellent question uh, that we would ask as well. Any others? I know there's more, and you may roll over tonight in the middle of the night and think of one uh, as well. But if uh, there, there, I think we could all come up with How many of you think you could probably come up with more than one? How many of you would like to have an hour and just pepper questions? Yeah, just this and this and this and this. Unfortunately, we don't have that. And so what we have to do is a lot of times with our questions, we have to try and find examples where Jesus answered a similar type question uh, within the scripture. And so, and I thought too about the, the publican, you know, where he was talking to God. Yeah. He didn't even look his eyes up to heaven. He said, he smote himself on the breast and said, Father, be merciful to him. That seemed like the way I would probably tell Right. So when we read the story, we're discussing here today how to answer a question. And I think what we sometimes hear this, and we don't necessarily think about it this way, but Jesus wanted the person answering the question to think about their own sort of motives and priorities. And sometimes we like to ask questions about other people, but we don't necessarily like to ask those questions related to us. I would like to know what Maria's doing right as well. I don't really need to know about me, but it'd be nice to know about her. And also what she's doing wrong. Tell me all about that too. Sometimes we kind of get into that if we're not careful. And so we need to think about what are our motives here. And I think Jesus will address that quite a bit in this, uh, in our teaching right here. So this is Luke 10 verses 25 through 29 here to start with. Uh, Tony, do you care to read uh, Luke 10, 25 to 29? Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal 
law. He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered right. Do this and live. But he wanted to justify himself, said to Jesus, and do as my hand. Alright. So let's talk a few, got a few questions here uh, to, to think about. Question number one, what was the question? What does the guy ask? Because it's a guy asking Jesus, not Jesus asking uh, someone else. What he must do to inherit Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think then you said that just a second ago, right? That's a question that it would be nice to get it, as we say, as we might say, straight from the horse's mouth, right? You know, I don't need, it's not through a book, it's not through a preacher, but it's through Jesus right there. So the first question is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. I would put that amongst one of the good questions that we could come up with. Now, what does then eternal life mean? Okay, home in heaven. Okay. Anything else? Is there anything on earth that this could refer to? Okay. Sure. So that's going to be there. Those issues are always going to be there. But if I am doing what it would take to have eternal life, does that perhaps make things a little bit easier on our earthly life? Not that things aren't going to happen, but rather that there is some comfort in knowing that there would be some type of reward when it was there as well. So I think uh, we can probably take both of those uh, as a thought. Be done. Yes and no. Like there was a reward. Ben, you probably studied this a lot more than me. Depending on the Yeah, kind of depending on. It kind of depending on. I've never thought about it in the context of free Jesus. Right. Well, that's <laughs> that's a t- hard question to answer uh, right on the spot. First of all, I think. No, but first of all, we, we talk about Jewish people as if they're all the same. And that's not even remotely close. There's numerous, there's multiple sects of Jewish people. So Jewish group A and Jewish group B don't necessarily believe uh, the same way. And so there's different groups that have different opinions. Not unlike groups that would proclaim Christianity today have uh, different beliefs uh, as well. Well, some, most, most don't. There are some that do, uh, but most, most don't. Let's see. Number three. So what did the lawyer assume in verse 25 about how a person receives eternal life? Okay. There's a word in verse 25. What in his, in the question that he asked, what shall I do to what? To inherit. Let's talk about inheritance for just a second. What does it mean to inherit something? Anybody in here ever inherited anything? If you know somebody who has died, 
There's a chance that you might have inherited something, right? Because whenever someone passes away, they have a will that says, I'm going to give this to so-and-so, right? Well, when you inherit it, you may have, what have you done to get that? Not really done anything. They just called and said, you get this and you get that. And, you know, we talked about it before, but I'm already dreading the things that we're inheriting from Lucille in this life. So I, I'm just wondering if we can call and tell them now and send it back. But the idea of inheriting is I haven't done anything. In fact, I'll be considering what have I done wrong uh, to get this. But to inherit something. I think it all stems from you inherited because the person loved you. Yes. What did you say, though, Ben, a minute ago? About, I thought... He's looking at it as works. What must I do in order to get this? Okay. So when we think about, he's thinking about how a person, you're going to inherit, you know, there's something good coming to me here, perhaps, as it were. I'm on the wrong page. But I think he also has almost an ulterior I think so. Yes. We're going to come to that here in just a second, but that's true. So, where does Jesus then assume, use the word assume here, where does Jesus then assume that the answer can be found in verse 26? Verse 26, he said, Well, what's written in the law, right? What is your reading of it? So, there's the idea that it's in the law. Now, why go back a verse? Why is Jesus going to go to the law for this fellow? Okay, first of all, it said he's a lawyer. Second, the, the law, the, 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 uh, the whole law is still valid. Any other reasons why he's going to refer, going to go back to the law? Because that's where his heart is at his perspective. I think, too, he's saying, what do, I, what do I have to do? He knows all these things. We know because the answer's coming. He's done all these things. Right. He's, he's checked off all these lists. Absolutely. <laughs> Right. So what is written in the law is one question. And then what is your reading of it is a different question. Because we can all read. We, we all, if we put the law in front of us, we'd all read the same thing. But the interpretation is something that is completely different. I mean, that's, that's why we have a Supreme Court. Uh, they interpret laws in that kind of sense. And so Jesus wants to know not what the book says, but he kind of wants to know what this guy thinks. Now, verse 27, what's the answer to the question as found in the scripture? Whenever he says, give me the book, chapter, and verse, as it were, what's the answer in verse 27? All right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And what? All right. So he can point to, it's almost like a, you know, a textbook, you can point right there and say, here is the answer to that question. If you're talking about it in a sort of a book, chapter and verse. Okay. So then the next question, what was Jesus's opinion of this answer? Absolutely. He told Jesus told him, he said, you're right. This is accurate. This is a correct answer. You do this and you shall but we didn't stop at verse 28. We read one more verse, right? 
So before we get to that, though, according to this verse, what is most important? Verse 28, what's most important to Jesus? What we know, what we do, or how we relate to other people? Okay. So which one is it? No, do, or relate? Yes? Don't they all go hand in hand? In order to do, you have to know there's a need. And that goes directly to relating to other people. I mean, aren't they all kind of the same thing? To him who knoweth to do good and doeth not, that is sin, right? So we can't really take one of these three, right? We can't really say, well, you know, one of these is more important. Is it important for us to know what we should do? I mean, that's why we have a Bible, right? So knowledge, you know, knowing half the Bible, is that the idea? No, you have to know, first of all, okay? But second, we can't just know and not do, right? Because then that becomes a problem. But does it matter how we would relate to people in what we do? Absolutely. It's almost like, what can, how can I get a C, you know, in a, in a school-type setting? So to answer, seven's a bit of a trick question, though, because I don't, there's not a right answer, because they all sort of overlap uh, with each other, okay? In verse 29, then, the teacher asked Jesus a follow-up question. I can't remember ever a situation in the Bible where the follow-up question to Jesus worked out really good for the person who asked it. It seemed like that never worked out well. But he said, who is my neighbor? Now, Mom, he kind of took the answer there just a little bit. But what's his motive for asking this question? Because he had just read straight from the law, I got to help my neighbor. So he follows up saying, who is my neighbor? What do you think his motive is here? How can I get by without having to do any more than I have to? Because if you're about to tell me that Ben is my neighbor, that's okay. But if you're about to tell me that Melvina is my neighbor, I'm not sure I'm ready to hear that. Is that kind of what it sounds like right here? I'm prepared to hear these people as my neighbor, but maybe not these other folks. So it's maybe, as you said, kind of getting by with perhaps as little as possible. Yep. 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 We've talked a lot about that. I feel like in some of our Wednesday night classes about how the old law sort of forced you into that list making kind of idea where I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to do this. And then the glory of the new law, which sort of flipped all of that on its head. Instead of I have to do this, it's I get to do this. And it's not a matter of clicking boxes before you go to the sacrifice, but it's a matter of doing uh, doing good or doing the will of. And to me, that's what it all goes back to. When he's asking who is a neighbor, if you really have love for all man in your heart, it's not going to matter who your neighbor is. It's if you're going to be looking to do good like Abraham. Abraham went around looking for good will and seeing the people, the strangers. You know, he, be- he wouldn't let it go. He begged and the look, come in, let me be nice to you, let me be hospitable. Right. 
I think it goes back to your heart. If you if you got a true love and true heart, you're not going to be asking the heart, who do I have to do this? Right. So the question here on the screen, why do you think he feels the need to justify himself? Why the second question? And how is the question going to help him justify himself? Mary kind of answered that a little bit right there. But I think his, well, let me ask you, why do you think he feels the need to justify himself? We all do that. We all do, right? We all do that. What was his job? He's a lawyer, right? So, you know, they always tell, the first of all, the first thing that you're done, I've read enough law books, I'm not a lawyer, but you don't ever ask a question that you don't already know the answer to, okay? When we say lawyer, we all mean to think of Bill. Yeah, attorney. Attorney Darrell. Yeah. But when it says lawyer in the Bible, let's talk about a religious lawyer. Sure. Studied and knows the law. Knew the law. Absolutely. So how is this question then that he asks going to help him justify himself? He does. He needs a yes or no answer in a sense, right? He needs you to pinpoint this. And sometimes we kind of like that, right? One of the somewhat frustrating things about Jesus at times, you didn't always get a yes or no answer. Why do you think we didn't always get yes or no answers from Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not, it's, everybody's it. You know, everybody... And so, in a sense, you have the old law meeting the new law right here, and they were con- they're conflicting with each other. There was really no way to answer old with new, or no way to answer new with old. And so there was really no answer that could be given almost by either side that was going to perfectly do what the other one was asking. Yes? And you got to realize, too, these people, these Jewish people, they hated the Samaritans. Yes. They and we've not even got to that yet. <laughs> Right. So he'd like to get them pulled out right from the start. Mm-hmm. That's, that's part of his question. What do you think he expected Jesus' answer to be? That he'd done everything right. He'd done everything You're doing good. And if he hadn't, here's a list. Go help that person over there. They need it. All right. Let's skip ahead here. This is Luke chapter 10. This is verses 30 through 36. It's not read on the screen, but it's almost entirely read on here because this is Jesus uh, giving uh, an answer. Will, do you care to read it? Luke 10, 30 through 36. And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him off his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the prey, at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will come again. When I come again, I will repay you. 
So which of these three do you think was they was they heard to him who saw them the feet? All right, now, we'll get into that in just a second, but I have something that I just want to read here because I, you know, I'm assuming that we sort of know things, but I don't always, I shouldn't probably do that. So a little bit of background here before we get into the questions. If you already know this, then so be it. But first of all, this story takes place on a road between Jerusalem in the mountains and the city of Jericho, which was about 20 miles away in the Jordan River Valley. The terrain between the cities was rough, desolate, with few inhabitants, and frequented, frequented by robbers. The robbers at times used tricks, like having one of their number appear injured on the side of the road. When someone stopped to help, the others could attack him easily while he wasn't paying attention. Different types of people are mentioned in the story. The person who is robbed would be understood to be a Jew. The priest and the Levite are Jewish religious leaders who have a good knowledge of God's laws. The final person in the story is a Samaritan, a person from the province of Samaria. The relationship between Jews and Samaritans was very similar to what we would today maybe talk about Jews and Arabs in the same, in the same location, or to any relationship marked by strong racial or cultural prejudice. The Jews considered Samaritans as social outcasts, untouchables, racially inferior, inferior practicing a false religion. They avoided any association with Samaritans, traveling long distances out of their way to avoid passing through a Samaritan area. Any close physical contact, drinking water from a common bucket, eating a meal with the Samaritan, would make a Jew ceremonially, un ceremonially unclean, unable to participate in temple worship for a period of time. The Samaritans responded quite naturally with strong dislike or hatred for Jews. Understanding this cultural prejudice makes the end of Jesus' story perhaps a little bit more surprising. Now, the point of all of that is just to show that these are not, you know, just neighbors. I don't really like that guy. But there is like a deep bred cultural dislike between the different groups here. And so this is not just a, you know, I didn't like that guy for one various reason. There's more to it uh, than that. So first of all, in Luke 30, or 10, 30 through 36, what is it called? What is the type of answer that Jesus gives to the lawyer's second question? One word does it. A parable, okay? Now, I have no idea. I highly doubt that this is a true story. Uh, I feel like most of the parables that were taught were teaching methods that would have been used. But whether it's true or not, it doesn't really take away from the act of what takes place. Because I'm sure that similar actions probably did take place uh, over time. But Jesus answers with a parable. And so what is the big surprise in the story? That it's a Samaritan that helps. And that would have been, you know, maybe it's not a surprise to us because we've read this a thousand times. But perhaps certainly would have been a surprise to this guy who was Jewish, who was being talked to by, to, talk to by Jesus, who was also what? Jewish. And so this guy would not have anticipated Jesus being on the Samaritan side because they're Jewish. He would have expected I guess you would say that you kind of would expect it to have similar beliefs, perhaps. So, why might we have expected the priest or the Levite to help? Why do you think, why do you think this, the story seems like it should have been the priest and the Levite should have just went straight up and helped him? Why would you have expected that? As being God's spokesman or being people close to God and God's heart, they should have had God's heart and should have been going to hell. First of all, a priest here. Uh, it's what? What were the Old Testament Jewish law priests? What, were their, what was their job? 
So whenever uh, we use the word sometimes intercession, the priest was the intercessor, as it were, at the time. And so the priest, in theory, would have looked at this guy, and he would also be connected to God, and he's like the middleman there between. You would have expected that. Uh, a Levite. Who are Levites? Okay, so the priest came from the tribe of Levi. And so he may not have been a priest, but he would have come from a background of priestliness. Is that, that's probably not a word. All right? And so we might have expected both of those. Honestly, when you think about somebody having something wrong with them or being hurt, you'd think, boy, it'd be sure nice for a religious leader to walk by. It's almost like if you went outside and you had a heart attack, and the first person to come by was an EMT. Like, but this is this is exactly what we wanted, right? I mean, I didn't want this to happen, but that sure helps. What were you going to say? I was going to say the priests and Levites—they didn't have jobs, like right? Yes. Toil in the ground and stuff like that. They were to go about doing, uh, you know, biblical things. That was their com- completeness of their job. Right. Especially the Levites—they were designated so special, set apart that they were the only ones that could touch the ark and cover. Right. Absolutely. Only priests could come from the tribe of Levi. Marion. Right. Extreme prejudice. Certainly, I think we could, we've all we've all been the priests of the Levi. They didn't like the guy. They, they were some. There was dislike that was there. They didn't want to defile themselves because you know that might have kept them from doing. Kept them from the glory of their temple. Absolutely, Ben. And then probably figured why he got what he deserved. Yeah. We're all tempted to judge people. Yes. Yeah, and Samaritans ain't nothing but trouble. He got what. Yeah, absolutely. We and we. We, we've probably all said and thought things in them, huh? Well, and then, like you know, read earlier, that some people, they, they would fake being hurt. Sure. And, you know, he could have been bigger. Well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know take my chance on this. Where the, where the Samaritan was willing to What reasons might the Samaritan have had for going by on the other side? Why might the Samaritan, why might we have looked at the Samaritan and thought, he should have went on the opposite side? Laying there, somebody laying there with somebody who had hated him or their people had hated their people. What do you think about him? I've been thinking. He wasn't helping. He was doing anything. Good enough for him or something like that. You ever heard something like that? We say that kind of stuff too when we're not careful. And so he would have those same reasons. But why did he stop to help? Now, I don't know that we can, I don't know if we can answer this. We can't go in his head, but why did he stop to help? He had compassion. He did. It was the right thing to do. Why else do you think that he stopped that? You never know somebody might have helped him in the past. We don't know that. 
Somebody might, he might have been able to pay it forward. Sometimes and uh, people would say. To take a chance on, well, this could be yes. good. Yes. This guy probably it was the right thing to do absolutely now it ended up costing the Samaritan it ended up costing the Samaritan. he had to like he had to stop his journey wherever it was he was going he had he it said he has an animal with him and he put the person on the animal I don't know if he was riding it or not he didn't walk because the person was on it he goes through an end. What does he have to do when he gets there? He had to pay. But he also nursed him back and used his stuff to nurse him back up. He pays, and then not only that, then he says what? And he almost he almost leaves a blank check and says, "If you need some more, I will help with this as well." So, what's Jesus's point in having the Samaritan exemplify generosity toward one's neighbor? We struggle with this sometimes. This is as practical a story as there is in the Bible. Take this scenario today now. What reasons I hear from people, they say, well, I don't know who that was there, and I'm afraid to stop, afraid they'll knock me in the head and take what I got, so I'm going off. Yep. I've been guilty of it. I think I, I think we could all say that we've been guilty of it. Jesus, at verse ten, at chapter ten, verse thirty-seven. Jill, you could read this one. And so the question in verse thirty-seven, uh, this follows up the question that Jesus said. Who do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the guy answers in verse 37. He said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus responds by telling him to go and do likewise. He didn't say the Samaritan, did he? he that's, that's, that's a good point. He doesn't actually say that. So how does this story answer the lawyer's original question? Verse 20, um, uh, 20. Five. Help anybody, it doesn't matter. What else? Your enemy, your friends, your brothers, your Sure. With a lot of things too. Uh, but 
there's still ways you can help. You can still always help. I've told John many times, I said, John, if you're ever out, you know, at night and anything, I said, always make sure your phone is fully charged. Right. I said, you just don't ever know. Uh, there's good Samaritans everywhere, but there's And <coughs> I think that there has to be, you know, we have to have some semblance of, you know, some, some, our, deci our decision making has to be but I don't think though that Jesus is no. teaching here is about the decision making, it's about the pre-judging the prejudice, the decisions that were made before before the, I know the answer before the question even pops up kind of thing uh, it's what I think we're seeing right here in the conversation between the lawyer and Jesus who's testing who? We see this quite often, don't we? We see it quite often in the scriptures. So people ask Jesus things, but it kind of flips back around, and those questions sometimes go the other direction. Usually, when you see in the Bible where it says one of the scribes or Pharisees testing Jesus, that is, they're going there to try to get him in the trap, try to catch him and get him to say something wrong in public so they can turn it around. And that's what this guy did, too. Right. Jesus. Right. Tired of losing. Jesus doesn't just quit though. There's one more there at the end. What's the last thing that we read in verse 37? He tells him to do what? Is that a test? It has, it's a, it's, that's, now, you hear the story was a parable. Whether there's truth to it or not, or whether it's a made up story. Who knows? But the truest part of it was to go and do likewise. Because now, when that comes up, what's he got to do? He's got to respond to that situation the same way that was presented to him, which can be, uh, that's, that's maybe the hardest part, is applying maybe what you've learned. Okay? Um, so tonight, generosity. But a, a couple questions to leave you with. First of all, what kind of person needs to hear the story that Jesus told to the lawyer? Hey, everybody. How often do we need to hear it? You know, I, 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 when I was thinking about this, I think I mentioned something about this in a sermon just a few weeks ago. It's not been that long ago. And when I was getting this ready, I thought, I feel like I've already done this. But then I don't know that it's, you know, we probably don't need to teach it every Sunday. But we need to hear it, right? We need to hear it. Um, how do we apply this story to our own life? Maybe don't answer it. Maybe just think about it. How can you apply this to your own life? Save that answer for yourself. How would you say that Jesus wants us to live? By the law or by the heart of what we're supposed to do? To, do, to know to do good, to love our neighbor. Said a few times that I don't want to belabor, but 
we got we have to get away from the checklist and get more toward love and generosity toward others. Because if we bog ourselves down in checklists, we're not doing anything for the right reason. And so that's that that's I think the last part there is like Any others? Yeah. 